You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded. My name is Jared Brook as we continue our look at the Atlantic Division and we are focused on the Detroit Red Wings today. Joining me is uh, the host of Locked on Red Wings, uh, Brian Fisher. Brian, how are you? Doing good. Thank you so much for uh, joining or joining me. I'm used to being the one to host. Great start, Brian. Uh, I'm doing well, Jared. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. You know, it's it's very hard to go from host to guest. Um, it is. It I, is. I, I've, I, you know, I, I uh, even when I join our podcast, I'm not always the host, and it's 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 always a different mindset when you when you go in like that. But it's yeah, it's hard to to turn that part of your your brain off. Um, so yeah, I, I remember doing this last year, looking at the Red Wings, and the big question going into that year was Dylan Arlkin was a pending UFA, uh, Tyler Bertuzzi was a pending UFA at, at the start of the season. And and now you know, not only you know locked in Larkin, you added Alex Brinkett, uh, the Red Wings did, uh, and, and signed him to a, a long term deal. What's what's the, the the vibes check in Detroit? Like where where where's the the fan base? Where's the the market compared to a year ago at this time? Um, what's the best adjective I can use to describe the mindset right now. It's like excitement, but cautious optimism, I think is the best way of putting it. Obviously this roster on paper, even outside of the brinket is much improved from last season. Um, But the cautious part comes from people wondering, and we'll get into it. I'm sure. Is it still enough to make the playoffs in a absolutely stacked Atlantic division. And there's a lot of trepidation about whether or not that's possible. You have one segment of the fan base who's like, this is our year. Look at the depth and the depth is pretty astounding. Like there's a lot of what I would argue almost 20 goal score possible players on this roster, not even counting guys like Larkin and to who you think are like locks to score 20 to 30, maybe even more than that goals. But the question is, is are, is your top-end talent enough to carry this team? Is your goaltending going to be good enough to get this team? And that's probably the biggest question mark. So I would definitely define it as cautious optimism going into this season. Yeah, it, it's it, it's kind of funny because, I, you know, if, if anybody's listened to these podcasts throughout the, the, the series, it, it's very clear that, Every team in in the division has, has serious question marks, uh, even even the really good ones, and especially the ones that are expecting to break into the playoffs. and And I think Detroit is is firmly in that group with with Buffalo and Ottawa, uh, in terms of taking another step forward. Obviously, they took one last year, and they're, they're expected to do it again. How much pressure is there within within the the market or? I don't want to say on Steve Eisenman and and you know the the staff and and management, but but how much pressure is there on the fan base to like okay no we, we need this is going going on for a while we need to to make the playoffs how how much how much pressure is there on on for that you, you mentioned the cautious cautious optimism but how much of that is no it, it, we're we're getting running out of patience a little bit yeah so I think that there are segments of the fan base that are growing a little bit more impatient or beginning to question 
the direction of the Iser plan, as people put it. I, I wouldn't necessarily put myself in that category yet. I, I mean, I will say that obviously as time's gone on, you know, I begin to grow a little bit more impatient, but I wouldn't qualify myself as impatient. I'm still very much in the camp of, you know, letting, letting Iserman cook, so to speak, because you kind of have to, you have to step, take a step back and look at the whole situation, right? When Steve Eisenman took over this organization in 2019, they had no one in their cabinet prospect wise. Their best play, their best prospects slash players. They had Michael Rasmussen drafted in 2017, who's on the roster. Uh, they had in 2018 was Philip Zadina and Jonathan Berggren. Jonathan Berggren made the team last year, about halfway through, played 67 games, just got sent down to start the season. I mean, those are your two best players from the Holland era right now that from those last few years, like after this team entered the rebuild, obviously Larkin is the captain. He was a Holland draft pick, but the team wasn't a rebuilding team at that point. So since, since the team started to miss the playoffs and began to become more of a lottery team and begin the rebuild under Holland, they don't have a lot to show for that. Eiserman takes over. And now we're, when Eisman takes over, the re, the fan base reset the timeline for the rebuild because it's a whole new general manager, whole new mindset of how to approach this rebuild. Doesn't really have anything in the cabinet. Doesn't really have anyone on the team outside of Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi. Then the draft lottery happens in 2019, 2020 rather, and they fall from first to fourth in the draft. The Red Wings in the entirety of this rebuild have never once moved forward in the NHL draft. They've only ever fallen back or stayed pat. So they haven't been helped. The highest draft pick they've had in this rebuild is fourth overall, and that was Lucas Raymond, who has the potential of being a really, really good player. But in 2020, if you go back in time, there's a lot of people who would say that if they had the number one overall pick, they would have taken Tim Stutzlow, who the Ottawa Senators got at three. So falling to four really hurt them. Lucas Raymond, again, could be a phenomenal player. He has a lot of talent. I think he can be. But, you know, Obviously, if you're number one overall, you have a lot more options. So he started, he doesn't have anyone in the cabinet. He doesn't get any draft lottery luck. And so now he has to, he's forced to make do with what he has. And I think personally, he's done a fantastic job with drafting despite that. Obviously, in for his first year as general manager in 2019, he drafts Moritz Sider. And Moritz Sider won the Calder Trophy. Struggled a little bit in the start of his second season before he found his footing. Got a great partner in Jake Wallman. He seems like he's going to be a bona fide number one defenseman, bona fide all-star in this league. I love Morris Sider. I think he next offseason, he might end up being the highest paid player on the Red Wings because his ELC is up and Sider, uh, Eisenberg's not going to miss his chance to lock him up long term. So he gets him. He gets Raymond. Then he gets Edvinson. Then he gets Casper. Uh, Sebastian Kosa, obviously, in the first round as well, though his development's taken a little Taken longer, he's a goalie, so that's to be, to be expected. Uh, and then this year, he takes Danielson and Axel Sandin Pelica in the first round. And Danielson looked really good in preseason, made it all the way until the final day of camp before getting sent back down to his WHL club, uh, the Brandon Wheat Kings, where he is captain. So when you take all that into account, including the fact that it's a stacked division, you kind of understand why Eisman would go out and make a ton of free agent acquisitions the way he has. So... Well, there may be some people who are growing impatient with the lack of progress. I look at it very differently. And I think most Red Wings fans do. I think the people who are impatient are kind of a local minority. This team improved from, I think, 74 points to 80 points this last year. Six points of improvement. This off se this season, you look to make them look to have them make another leap in improvement. 
from 80 points to probably out, probably between 86 and 88 points. If you're asking my honest guesstimation, do I really, do I think that they're going to make the playoffs? They could. Yeah. But obviously that would mean they'd have to go above the 88 point marker. I just gave them, but because this division is so tough and because they've had no lottery luck, I realize that it's such a tough, such a tough path for them to make it because the Bruins, they're not going to be 135 point Bruins anymore. Uh, losing Bergeron and Krejci, they have huge center depth uh, uh, issues, but they're still a very good hockey team with some of the best talent in the NHL. They have the best tandem in the NHL with Olmark and uh, Swayman. You got Toronto Maple Leafs are going to run away with this division, in my opinion. Tampa Bay, another year older. Even with the Vasilevsky injury, injury, though, I still think they're going to be in that divisional race. The Florida Panthers, I think, are real. I think the sluggish regular season they had last year was uh, more of an exception, not the rule, because they had a new coaching staff and a whole, whole new core with Matthew Kachuk there. And then, you know, Ottawa took a, is going to take a step forward. I don't know. I think Buffalo is still going to give the Red Wings a run for their money, but I wouldn't be surprised if Buffalo takes a step back a little bit, not to like 80 points, but maybe to where the Red Wings are at, like 88 points. And that's just because if you look at what they did last year, they were a top 10 team in scoring, but they were a top 10 team in goals allowed as well. They had a phenomenal road record, but they weren't any good at home. So I feel like they kind of outscored their problems a lot last year. And if they don't address that defense and they don't address their goaltending, I know they're putting a lot of weight on Devon Levy being the starter, they could fall back from 91 points back to like 85, 86 points. And that's more points on the table for the Red Wings. Same with the Bruins falling. So there's points on the table for the Red Wings to get, but they're not the only team that's going to be looking to take those points. Again, Buffalo and Ottawa being the main two competitors. So while yes, to, to I wrap all that back up <laughs> in a nice little bow for you, while there is kind of a, a push from the fan base to want to make the playoffs, I think most fans realize that as long as they're in it and they're not like eliminated until the final week of the season or the final two weeks of the season, most Red Wings fans will still look at the season as a success, even if it means they don't quite make it. As long as they see that definitive step forward because this division is just so incredibly difficult. Yeah, I think that that's that's the 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 real the real mark, right? Like I think that you know important. You know, Montreal was I think it was Ken Hughes who said, "What's your goal for the season?" He's like, "I or maybe it was Jeff Gordon, one one of the people in the organization was like, I want to have important games in March." And then the next step in the real build is where the Red Wings are. I want to see important games in April and just kind of pushing it down uh, until eventually you get uh, into, into the playoffs um, themselves. Um, you mentioned Ward Sider, and I, I do want to touch on this defense because I, when I was looking at it in preparation for this, the, the first word that came to mind was chaotic. Uh, <laughs> obviously, Canadians fans know Ben Chirot, Jeff Petrie pretty well. Uh, Shane Gosses Bear is is known to be one of those like high event players. Uh, Justin Hall, I mean, you know, Toronto uh, basically you know blasted him into oblivion for um, mistakes that he had made. Um, and you mentioned Wallman, and then the other one is is Ali Mata who's there as well. What you mentioned the goaltending, but but how much of, of this defense is is going to determine where this team lands? Uh, well. You know, I think they're second only to the goaltending as the biggest question mark on this team. Which uh, kind of goes hand in hand as well, right? Yeah, yeah. In a lot of cases, they do. The Red Wings, I believe, 
I, I don't remember off the top of my head. I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but they were a bottom 10, if not bottom 12 team in the league in goals against, or I guess I should say top 10 in goals allowed. They allowed the most goals in, in that range. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that their defense was really, really bad outside of their top pair. Uh, and also their goaltending last year wasn't stellar either. Billy Husso having after coming off a fantastic year as the one B with St. Louis came from there into a less sheltered system with the Detroit Red Wings defense. And, you know, after a phenomenal start kind of got worn down, kind of the grind of a, being the starter in a regular season eventually began to get to him. And we saw what happened. He finished the season with a sub 900 save percentage and he wasn't helped out at all by the fact that he got injured and that they had no reliable backup with Magnus Helberg and Nedeljkovic, you know, never, neither one ever actually getting that backup role solidified. And so he had to take a lot of extra responsibility when he probably needed to take a break, when he was probably needed to be given a break so he could recoup. And he just couldn't because even when he was allowing four goals a game, he was still the better option. That's how bad it was. And so I think he'll be better this year because I think James Reimer and Alex Lyon behind him are much better. I know Reimer's coming off of a bad year with the San Jose Sharks, but that is a historically bad, not historically bad. That's a hyperbole, but they were the one of the worst teams in the league last year playing behind one of the worst defenses in the league last year. So it makes sense. His save percentage would dip below 900 for the first time in his career. Uh, so I think he will have a bit of a bounce back year despite his age. And Alex Lyon, 15 games played in the regular season last year with the Florida Panthers. You could argue he came from a sheltered system too, but he had a he had a good 15 games with them, a above 900 save percentage. I think he's going to be a good third option for the Detroit Red Wings if James Reimer or Billy Huso goes down because so now they have goalie depth. So the goaltending, while still being the biggest question mark, because there's a lot of ifs there, if Huso and Reimer can bounce back from their bad years, and if Lyon can, that short sample size for Alex Lyon proves to be reality, it's still better depth than they had last year. So that is, it's one of those things where like, yeah, they're going to be better, but the bar for better is so low that it can't really be much worse. Uh, defensive wise, because that's where you let off the question. My apologies for getting you know <laughs> off on a tangent. Again, it's the same situation where on paper, you know, regardless of all of the Olimata, or sorry, you know, Justin Hall being kind of a scapegoat in Toronto, signed a three-by-three three contract with the Detroit Red Wings, which I'm not a big fan of that contract, that length or that ter- term, or that term or that money. Uh, ben Sherratt, obviously, in Montreal and Florida, and now Detroit is kind of the scapegoat here. And then, of course, Jeff Petrie, who's been a really stellar defenseman most of his career, obviously a little bit older now, and his production is beginning to slide. You wonder if all these veterans over the age of 30 can help make this team's defense better or competitive in a tough Atlantic division, to be honest, I think that there's a lot of middle of the road talent here. I don't think that any of these defenders outside of your top pair are like the best second pair in the league or top 10 second pair in the league or top 10 third pair in the league, whatever they may be, but they're still better than they were last year. You know, last year they had a huge problem with the fact that they didn't have a guy who could take that sixth D-man position and make it his own. They were cycling between Gustav Lindstrom, who you are now familiar with, with the Montreal Canadiens, and Jordan Osterley and Robert Hagen. It was really frustrating watching Gustav Lindstrom, too, because you're looking at a young player who has the talent to be a a productive bottom pair defensive defenseman in the NHL, just never kind of be able to 
wipe away the dumb mistakes, you know? And to watch him not be able to take that sixth spot from fringe NHL guys like Robert Hague and Jordan Osterley was just really frustrating. So you had a constant rotation of who was playing in that sixth D role. You don't have that problem anymore. Now you have seven bona fide NHL defensemen. And say what you will about like the talent level of these individual defensemen. These are veterans in the locker room who are going to be able to mentor the younger guys and they are going to be able to eat big minutes. Like it's not going to be the prettiest defensive core, but it is a substantially better defensive core. Olimata is a very defensive defenseman. He seems to be good. He seems like he's going to be paired with Shane Gossesper, who, by the way, I'm really hyped about. I think Shane Gossesper is a phenomenal uh, ad for the Detroit Red Wings on the blue line, especially after trading away their play driving defenseman Phil Peronic for a first round pick last uh, last trade deadline. I really think Shane Gossesper is going to take that position from now a vacant Heronic and amplify it because he's I think he's even better of a puck mover than Heronic ever was. Uh, so I'm really excited for that. You put him with a defensive defenseman, defensive defenseman Olimata. That could gel well for a really good pair. Ben Chirot, Jeff Petrie, and Justin Hall. I'll be honest with you, Jared. I don't really know what their role is here on this defensive core right now. Obviously, locker room leaders, right? You think that three veterans of their age, Chirot wore the A last year for the Detroit Red Wings, very popular in the locker room. Jeff Petrie wanted to come home. He's worn the A with multiple teams, a veteran leader in the locker room. That's very important. But on the ice, you know, I don't know what the best pair is going to be. I don't know how they're going to take this defense to the next level besides just being an be- improvement over what we had last year. That's a big question mark for me, and that's not an answer that I, unfor- I unfortunately don't have an answer for that because those are things that I questioned when they made those acquisitions. Obviously, having uh, the addition of Petrie and – uh, Justin Hall is right-handed defenseman is huge, but you know, are they worth the money in the term? Those are questions that I have. Are they worth blocking guys like Simon Edvinson from coming up? Those are questions that I have. So, you know, the carte blanche is definitely over with the eyes are playing. Like I'm definitely starting to ask questions, but he also has enough cachet where I'm get, still giving him the benefit of the doubt, despite me going, I don't know about that. And the first time I ever went, I don't know about that, was the Ben Chirot signing last offseason. Four years, $4.75 million for that man. I was like, what's going on, Stevie? What are we doing? Are we this desperate for defensemen? <laughs> so there are definitely questions starting to be asked, but overall still a definitively a better defensive core than last year. Um, but I still would have a hard time classifying it as a good defensive core outside of Sider and Wolman, who are stellar Sider, I think is good for 50 plus points. Great two way defenseman. Wolman is shown to be like a kind of a puck driving play driving defenseman as well, but he's solid on back checking. He saw it on four checking. He's good in the defensive zone. They make such a great pair outside of those two guys, man. It's for me, it's going to be, I have to wait and see what this, this defensive core is going to do. Yeah. It, it's kind of funny because like you mentioned, like they, they have, it, they're all NHL players. Like, you know, if you have two of those guys on your third pair, you're, you're pretty much okay. Like, yeah, it's, it, it's, it, it's not like you're, you're looking at AHL guys or um. so, I mean, you know, yes, you might not have a great second pair, but you know, by committee uh, it, it should, it should even out. And when you have a guy like Maurice Sider, you know, eating a lot of minutes or mm-hmm. expected to, uh, it might not hurt as much as, uh, especially if if they do make the playoffs, that you know that experience helps a lot as well. And and I always, you know, one of the things I I always go back on is like if a prospect is good enough, a young player is good enough, no, he he never gets blocked. So like even if Simon Edmondson sh- shows he's NHL ready, 
there there's ways around that <laughs> you know no one's gonna lose any sleep if if uh you know one of those the, the guys that end up at the bottom <laughs> of that list end up going on waivers or, or get traded i'm or really glad you brought that up <laughs> just now because a lot of and again we're not in the front office we're not in the coaching staff with the, in the coaches room so we don't obviously know anything for sure but the common consent around Simon Edvinson is that he is NHL ready, that he should be playing with the Red Wings. Like he, this pre, this past preseason, he proved that he wiped away most of the problems that he was having that was keeping him off the roster. But they have, like you, like we were saying, seven NHL defensemen, and uh, with the exception of Edvin, or uh, not Edvinson, Cider, who's on his ELC, there's not a single player on defenseman who's making less than two point three million. Yeah. Petrie would be making more, but thanks to Canadians and the Penguins are retaining a lot of that. Uh, he's not. I mean, the rest of these guys are getting paid three plus million dollars. So, you know, obviously, like you said, I believe in the philosophy if a player is good enough, they don't get blocked. And I do think Edmondson earns his spot at the NHL roster at some point this season because injuries will happen. Like, yeah. that's just how hockey is played. But it is, it is curious and a little worrying that we, I, and again, like I said, Steve, I, we think Steve Eisman knows best. We still believe in him and we believe in what Derek Lalonde sees. And in their defense, Simon Edison does still have a penalty with drawing a problem with drawing penalties. But how much longer can you justify keeping off the roster? And if you do decide he's ready for the NHL, who are you going to waive? Because you have a lot of guys making a lot of money. And, you know, that shouldn't be a reason to keep a player. It is still pertinent to the conversation. Yeah, you know, <laughs> talking to a uh, a team that just you know waved uh, Yol Armia and, and Gustav Lindstrom, right? So took balls for the, the Armia one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, you know, you mentioned you know that that's really the, the the mindset is that you know that's that'd be the equivalent of them waving you know one of their their bottom pairing guys uh, as well, right? But I, I think that they have a little bit more value than than an Armia would, but but. Um. Yeah. I, I. You know, injuries always happen. Uh. The only way to make sure you have enough uh defenders is to have enough of them. Yeah. <laughs> it, it. Uh. You know, teams don't usually uh go without playing ten, eleven guys uh in that position. You mentioned the goaltending, and and three goaltenders is is kind of a an odd uh an odd decision. I mean, Montreal's going that route as well. It, it's not like it's it's out of the question, but. You know, the, obviously the thinking is you don't want to lose one of those guys and be without your third goalie, uh, especially when you when you look at Huso and Reimer who have injury histories and and things like that as well. Is that kind of the mindset of of keeping the three goalies at least to start the season? Yeah, I mean it's probably the same thing that Montreal's doing, right? I mean we both we are both in the Atlantic Division. We both see what's going on in Tampa Bay with Andre Vasilevsky, and neither of our franchises probably wants to give them a leg up. Like get here here. Here, division rival. Here's a goalie you can use. No, no one wants to do that. So we're kind. Of, it feels like both teams, or at least I, I won't speak to the Montreal Canadiens side of things, but at least for the Detroit Red Wings, it's very much a situation where I don't want to give you a goalie for free to use against us. Uh, we signed Alex Lyon and James Reimer for a very specific purpose to address our goaltending depth, and we don't want to lose that. Uh, so for the time being, the Red Wings are going to carry three goalies, even though long term it's going to be bad for. One of the two goalies that they re retained uh, play-wise, because you can't just have them sit on the bench constantly. Uh, so it's unorthodox, but I, I, I recognize it's temporary. As soon as I think, as soon as Tampa Bay figures out what they're going to do for their goaltending situation with Vasilevsky out for ten weeks, eight to ten weeks, you'll see either Lyon or Reimer, most likely Lyon, but 
Lion or Reimer get waved down to uh, the the Griffins. And, you know, I think Lion is going to be a stellar starting goaltender for them uh, in Grand Rapids and a great mentor to Sebastian Kosa, who's making the transition, hopefully, to the Grand Rapids Griffins full time, at least to start the season. He's there. We'll see if he can maintain that position. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. You know, it's kind of like a lot of teams are just holding on to their goalies and waiting for Tampa to do something. And then you're going to see a bunch of goalies hit hit waivers and, and, and see if there's anything, uh, see if there's anybody that uh, anybody else that would claim them. But yeah, it's it's very interesting because you mentioned how close it's going to be for some of these teams to make the playoffs. If you're losing points to uh, to a Tampa Bay team that has an Alex Lyon in goal, um, probably not the best idea. It's like, um, we gave you this guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Almost, you know, it's similar to like a team retaining salary on, on a guy in the division and uh, then going out, which makes, I yeah. guess, the, it kind of makes it the Brinkett trade a little bit interesting because it was in division uh, and and uh, Ottawa's and Detroit are going to be fighting for, you know, probably the same spot, right? You know, yeah. if, if you kind of figure, you know, both of them are not going to make the playoffs. It's, if, if one of them does, it's going to be one of them. Uh, and then uh, they, they make, you know, maybe one of the biggest trades of, of the offseason. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, the Ottawa-Detroit Red Wings rivalry is definitely brewing. It started last year. <laughs> they played back-to-back games uh, in Ottawa, and the Ottawa Senators absolutely kicked the Detroit Red Wings' ass. Uh, it wasn't even close, unfortunately. It was hard to watch as a Red Wings fan, and I can I can say that, you know, with – so you know, some Red Wings fans don't want to admit it, but like it's it happened, guys, and it basically ruined the Red Wings playoff chances because those two games against a division rival had a huge impact on their playoff odds. And ultimately, it was probably for the best because they would have likely missed the playoffs anyways, and it gave Steve Eisman the the clear mindset that he should sell. And we got a lot for some of our players. Obviously, again, Philip Peronik, you got a first round pick for uh Tyler Bertuzzi, you got a first round pick for so there's a, they got a lot for it, but now with the addition of, so you have like that basis of a rivalry starting two rebuilding teams, trying to make moves at the same time. And then they clash a lot in the regular season. Now to forces basically, cause he did, he essentially forced his way to Detroit. And because he's from here and he's an RFA. So like he can just not sign. He, he really forced uh Pierre Dorian's hand. And that's why the Sens didn't get a lot for Dominic Kubelik, or not Dominic, he wasn't involved in the trade, but for uh, Alex Dabrinkit, they got Dominic Kubelik, who, to his credit, scored 20 goals last year, but he's definitely a, you know, talent-wise, a, a pretty clear step down from Dabrinkit. They got Donovan Sobrango, who's a defenseman, pro, defensive prospect who might make the NHL one day. I don't, you know, if he does, he's like a sixth, seventh defenseman. And uh, they got a first round pick from the Red Wings for this year coming up, but that's the worst of two that they have is the condition because they have the Bruins first round and their own first round. So they're going to get whatever one comes later in the first round. And then I think a conditional fourth. So they didn't get a whole heck of a lot for a guy who has 40 goal potential, but granted he had a down year with the, uh, with the Ottawa senator. So there's question marks about whether or not he can rebuild. And, but that just helped further the flames of a rivalry because the way he forced his way out to Detroit. Now Ottawa senators fans are shaking their fist at the brinket. And so now on Twitter, if you ever see Red Wings and Ottawa Senators fans interact, it's never in the kindest of terms. (laughs) (laughs) I don't I don't want to throw Senators fans under the bus, but most of their interactions with other fan bases are not pleasant. Um, Yeah, I I, I'll hold my tongue and my thoughts just because, you know, (laughs) 
you, they're probably listening to this and they'll be ready to clip it and post it on social media that, you know, they oh, this guy or these guys from these podcasts think that blah, blah, blah about us. And then they'll use it as a rallying cry. So I'll hold my tongue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I, I have some Senators fans that I, I do like. So um, <laughs> it, I'm, I don't want to paint everybody with, with a brush there, but um, yeah, those, you know, let, let's face it. There's always those people in every fan base. It's yes, not, it's not unique to Suns fans. Um, Red so Wings let, fans were, they were so they're in that 25 year playoff streak. I love being a Red Wings fan, but there were always some that were just like so obnoxious on social media. We all have them. <laughs> yeah, every fan base has them. And if you don't think you have them, then you're one of them. Yes. Um, <laughs> is 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 kind of my, my thinking on that. Um we, we mentioned, you know, Larkin to bring cat. I, I want to look at more of the, the four you know, if they make the playoffs, if they make that step up, we, we mentioned the defense and the goaltending, which obviously has to get better, but who who who's a player that that will be a, a big part of a playoff Detroit Red Wings team this season if it happens? Oh, it's a good question. So, are you asking who is going to be an X factor for them making the playoffs, or if they're in the playoffs, who would be an X factor? Yeah, I mean, if if they were to make the playoffs, what who's who's what's the reason why? Let's put it that way. Let's... Well, I think I'll go a little off the board here. I think most people would probably expect me to say Larkin or Debrinket, but I feel like with them you have a pretty good idea of what you're going to get for the most part. I think it's going to be Lucas Raymond. That's really going to have a huge impact on whether or not this team makes the playoffs. Cause last year, his rookie season, obviously uh, he finished fourth in Calder voting. He had 57 points latter half of the year. He began to struggle a little bit happens with rookies teams, figure out what your weakness is. They exploit it. And now it's on the rookie to then adjust sophomore season. Didn't quite adjust still was inconsistent, hot and cold, finished with 45 points. Uh, still pretty good for a sophomore, but a clear step down from what he had the year before. Um, year three, going in, he has gained eight to nine pounds because his biggest issue was he wasn't strong enough. You know, he's a five foot ten winger, which let's be honest, five foot ten is not actually that small, but as a professional athlete, uh, it, it's considered undersized in air quotes there. So uh, he put on eight to nine pounds, and then we saw flashes in the preseason of him out-muscling guys, something we never saw before. Guys putting pressure on him and him being able to hold his arm out and keep them off of him. It's things that he couldn't do before. Before he'd be under pressure, player would put pressure on him and he'd lose the puck. So that that shows you a little bit of hope that he, you know, not just putting, putting on weight helps with that, but it helps everywhere with your game as well. Because Lucas Raymond is all... Even though he's always been a pass-first guy, he has 30-goal potential, in my opinion. So if he comes out and he has a 60-plus-point season, that's going to go a long way to helping the Red Wings make the playoffs, and I think he has that potential. But it's all about can he adjust to those problems that he is having the second half of his rookie year and the all of last year. And so if they make the playoffs, it'll be because Lucas Raymond has a bounce-back season and is much better. And then, of course, goaltending again. You got to throw goaltending in there. Goaltending has to be better than it was last year. You're not making the playoffs with three goalies that have sub 900 save percentages. That's just not going to happen. Yeah, the the good news is goaltending is wildly unpredictable. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> good news and bad news. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. You know, it, it's kind of funny because the only team that you can really point to uh, that has consistent goaltending is Tampa, and and you know, one injury kind of turns them into you know, puts them into chaos a little bit. Uh and they're leading on, you know, Jonas Johansson, um, which is interesting at least. Um, but he had he had a great preseason. He didn't allow a goal. So I mean that's 
that's something. But yeah, it, look, I, I've said it a bunch of times to different people <laughs> in this series. The Atlantic Division is going to be so interesting. Uh, it, it's 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 fascinating. It's a fascinating division, and, and the funny thing is, is that the way it's built, it's going to be fascinating for for a lot of a years. Uh, yeah. because you know Toronto, you know th- their window isn't going to suddenly close. Tampa. You know, it's not going to suddenly close either. You know, a bunch of their guys are still in their in their twenties, upper twenties, but still in their twenties. Um, and then you have you know Boston and Florida who aren't going to just fade away, and and Ottawa, Buffalo, Detroit, and even Montreal—they're not going to get worse anytime soon. It, yeah. it's it's going to be it's going to be very interesting because you know now it's seven teams looking for the playoffs, and soon enough it's going to be eight teams looking for the playoffs, and. Uh, unless something changes drastically in terms of the the playoff uh, the playoff format, uh, a lot of those teams are going to go disappointed every year. Uh, and and we're already seeing, you know, those those first two rounds are 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 killer uh, for for a lot of really good teams, uh, uh, even if you make the playoffs. So, uh, Brian, thank you so much for for taking the time. And, uh, and and discussing the Red Wings, um, which you do a lot anyway. But <laughs> th- thank you for doing it with us, uh, and in- enjoy the season. Yes, thank you. I hope you get some enjoyment out of it too. Hopefully, Slavkovsky comes <laughs> back healthy and he lights it up, just not against the Red Wings. Yeah, you know, I, I, I we, we just recorded a podcast earlier today. Uh, for, for those who who don't who, who obviously are listening to this when we put it out, which is not the day we're recording it. Um, but we just finished a podcast where we re- basically said the season's just going to be fun. Like it's been a couple of seasons of like not very fun, but this season should be fun at least because you're, you're kind of in that, that zone where, and I guess as a Red Wings fan, you, you know what we're talking about where you're not expecting to make the playoffs, but you just know things are going to be better this year. Yes. Uh, and, and, and I think Montreal is, is squarely in that because there's so many young players um, throughout the organization. That's, it's uh it's a lot of fun and and uh yeah it, it's gonna be fun to watch the bloodbath in, uh, above Montreal um I I'm not sure how I'd feel if I was in it so <laughs> it's gonna be a it's gonna be a roller coaster of a season it's gonna have a lot of fun yeah. moments but I'm sure it'll have a lot of frustrating moments as well yeah and, and the thing is is that there's a lot less divisional games than there used to be right there used to yeah. be like eight games every year and you know uh I, I know I saw the schedule the other day Montreal doesn't play Ottawa till January now. Um, so it's, it's just one of those weird things where last year it was Boston. They didn't see until January. So, um, it, I mean, fun it, fact, sorry to interrupt, but fun fact, uh, the Detroit Red Wings do not host the Toronto Maple Leafs in the regular season this year, which is crazy because of the fact that they're run because now they do three in three division games against each team. So one year, every team is going to have two home games. One of the teams is going to have two home games and one road game versus the other team. Last year, the Red Wings had two home games and one road game in Toronto. So this year, it's Toronto's turn to have two home games and one road game against Detroit. Detroit's one home game against Toronto is the international game in Sweden. In Sweden. Yeah, yes, that's that's really interesting. It kind of, um, it's kind, it kind of stinks. It kind of robs. Yeah, because that game between Toronto and Detroit, because Toronto fans always come over in big masses, and you get the the whole crowd is just red and blue. And you get the dueling <laughs> yeah. chance of go Leafs go and let's go Red Wings. It kind of stinks that we're robbed of that this year. Yeah, you know, like you, you picture like the outdoor game at, at at Michigan, right, where it was it was basically red and red and blue as well, mm-hmm. right. So, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of weird because those fa- th- those fan bases even go back going back to when they were both in the Western Conference as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very uh, very interesting. That they're not going to actually play a game in Detroit. Um, th- thank you so much for joining me and, and uh, have a good season. Thank you.
Thank you. You too, Jared.